In this episode, we're going to talk about gray man preparedness, something I get asked about a lot. I've even done old YouTube shows on it. While a lot of things are generally the same or similar, there are things that I look at a little differently that are a little different. There is some training I have in it, actually officially for like short-term, I've talked about before, having a kind of short-term bug out during an operational situation. I even have legitimately bugged out once just a few years ago, and I had some small-time situations I did on the job, but they were minor and they don't really play into here. But what I'm going to do, the best way I think I can answer this is tell you what I do. I'm going to highlight a few areas that I think you may not be aware of or may not think about the way I do. Some's just going to be, here's a common thing you may be doing, but here's how I do it. Here's how I look at it. It doesn't make me right. It's just what works for me. But maybe you'll get some good ideas about it. So gray man preparedness, that's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight. I think the most difficult thing for people is when they start out in this kind of thing is always looking for the right way or the better way to do things. And there may always be a better way. I don't know that there's a right way. There are some general things people should look at. And of course, I can't cover them all here, even if I talked about this for an hour. But I'm going to hit a few of the highlights. I think it's important to remember that it's also difficult when somebody says, well, you got to figure out what's best for you. And you do. But you do need help and guidance along the way. I did when I first really got into it, realized there was a lot of things I was doing that was already considered prepping per se because of how I grew up. We always canned food. We had a garden. We had an orchard. You know, we didn't get a lot of severe weather, but where I was, if six, eight inches of foot of snow fell on the ground, it would wreck your world. There wasn't assets in place to clear that, and it could make things a little difficult. So I figured... What's the best way to approach this? Well, I figured I'd just tell you what I do and the things I look at and how I look at them that way. The first area I want to start with is medical. And remember, this is how I do it. It doesn't make me wrong or right. It's just how I do it. I break medical down into three categories. Basically, I guess I I never categorize them, but I guess the way I'd call it would be preventative medicine, basic medical needs and then more advanced medical needs. It's however you want to look at it. Preventative medicine, the way I look at it is I actually classify the first category as hygiene. The reason why is in most world events that's happened throughout history, one of the major causes of death is actually hygiene related. It's usually illness and minor injuries due to lack of hygiene and proper care. And the thing about hygiene is, think about the times that you or somebody else got to take that long, hot bath, that long, hot shower, finally got to wash their hair after camping or doing whatever for several days. Even now, we're getting in the time of year where I start shaving my head every few days. I feel really good afterwards. I remember when I started using a safety razor and really had to take care of the skin on my face before I grew a beard and how good I felt when I did it. It made me feel better, made me feel more confident. seems weird, but that's kind of the point of it is... Hygiene isn't just about your physical health and well-being. It also affects your mental health. So I consider hygiene, and I try to cover just the basic areas. So one example for me is when you're looking at dental care. Now, I can't cover everything in every category. I'm just going to cover a few of the basics. When it comes to dental care, you need a way to clean your teeth. And while I have stocked up on things like dental floss, they're not going to be around forever, and there's other things you can improvise and use. Mouthwash is always great, but it doesn't last that long considering the size and weight of it and depending on what your preparedness is for. Most of it's going to be for staying in your home in some sort of emergency situation, power outage or whatever, but there's more advanced scenarios. 
But at a minimum, you need to wait to clean your teeth. Now, while there's many alternative methods, one of the basic prepping things they tell you when it comes to food is to start stocking up on the things that you like to use because when there's other options that are great, but when you're using things you're used to using, it's not only easier on your body and easier to start adapting and bringing in other things, it's also good for your mental health to have those things you like. So simple toothbrushes and toothpaste is real easy to do. Now I have a nice vibrating toothbrush, one of those nice Sonicare ones that really takes care of my teeth. But I do get disposable toothbrushes that can last a while. I know how long they're supposed to work. I don't just buy the cheapest ones. I just started buying a few of the better regular toothbrushes that I liked. And one of the little tips for you is, especially I think anywhere it does it now, when you go to the dentist, they usually give you maybe a disposable tiny little toothbrush or even a good toothbrush. Like at the VA, they give us really good toothbrushes and some dental floss and sometimes the little package of toothpaste. Funny thing is they give it to us in these little plastic bags, which is nice. And I always keep one in my car. I've needed it more than once. But I actually have a little box that I just accumulate those in. And it's basically just to have those toothbrushes. They're small, they're light, and they're good to have. And I actually occasionally just go through and use a regular toothbrush to brush my teeth. I don't do it all that often. I do it every two or three months just to remember what it's like and how long it should probably take. And then the other thing is toothpaste. Toothpaste for me is actually easy. The stuff I like usually a buck at the dollar store, two bucks somewhere else. And I keep a few tubes of that. It'll actually last a long time. But really all you need to start out with is basic care. The other thing is looking at basic hygiene to keep your body clean. Simply, all I did is I started out with an antibacterial soap. I can't remember the brand of it. It's a smell I like. I don't like soaps like Dial because they dry my skin out, but this one I liked was cheap. And when I started doing this like 10 years ago, like a six or eight pack of soap was like three bucks. You know, now they're like 12 and I bought several of them. And what's nice is I use them when I go camping. I usually keep one in my car. They smell good. They're antibacterial. And a piece of knowledge to go along with this is to make sure you know, I think we're all learning more now, but how long you actually need to wash things like your hands and your face in order to have the proper effects of staying clean. Other than the soap, the next basic thing I keep on hand now, which is something I only discovered not long ago, I think late last year from David Robertson over there at DMR Publications, was the basic Blue Dawn dishwashing soap. He actually washes with that. I do sometimes. I actually keep some of my shower washed with it. I wash my hair, and it may seem weird, but actually if you look into it, it has some moisturizing qualities. It's actually a really good soap. It's not bad for your skin, and it's actually very helpful. Now, if you try this, do understand that I wouldn't say it's slimy, but it's close to a slick, slimy feeling on your body after you wash with it, but that's because of the moisturizers in it. What's nice about it is whether you're buying a small thing or you go to Costco and buy the big one, you get a lot of soap in there. And remember that Dawn suds up really well. It doesn't take much to wash your body. And those are the basic things I keep. Now I have other ones too. I keep, you know, all the normal hygiene stuff. I always have a few extras, whether it's for shaving or washing or, you know, wash my beard or conditioner. But just having a couple of things like that, a bar of antibacterial soap and say something like the Dawn liquid, a, a box of those soaps, six, eight, packages and then one of those large jugs of dawn you actually will probably be able to keep yourself and a family or four or five clean a lot longer than what most people have on hand for food so i think those are important now the always other things you can add on you know brushes hair brushes combs all those things but those are the basic things i started with i kept it really simple what's the minimum amount of things that are the most effective that i could use
The next category for medical near me was just basic medical items. Having an assortment of band-aids, having the ointment, triple antibiotic ointment like Neosporin, which is cheap to get even now, and I just started buying it up. I got my big first aid home kit that I travel with when I train people. Aside from my trauma kit, my basic kit is actually a large tackle box that has compartments and little pull-out drawers and stuff, and I keep all that stuff in there separated. But having an assortment of many types of Band-Aids, I probably have 10 or 12 types of Band-Aids in there. I also have little blood clotting packets, and I have, of course, the ointments. Then having some basic burn creams or gels. Those are real cheap and easy to get. You can either get the tubes or you can buy the packages that have the little pull-out one-time uses. Having some basic medicines, even just anti-inflammatories, painkillers, antihistamines, cough and cold medicine. A lot of those you can get in pills. You just have to figure out how long you can store them for. And a piece of knowledge with this is there's a book called The Disaster Preparedness Medical Handbook, I believe what it's called, by the guy Alton who does the uh, podcast. It's a really knowledgeable book. It's one of the best medical books. It's the one book I recommend anybody gets for all preparedness medical needs. They even talk about antibiotics in there because they've tested them. They can tell you which antibiotics they make and sell at pet stores that you can actually use and are beneficial and which ones don't work on humans. It's a really good book. But a few basic medicines like that, you just need to make sure that you don't go buy 20 large, you know, containers from Costco or something that doesn't last that long. What's great about that book is they go in there and they tell you, like, look, for these types of medicines, whether it's a capsule or a caplet, here's how long they say they last. But here's how long they really last, the true shelf life, and what effect they can have. And that can help you prepare on how much you should actually buy based on what you need. Now, of course, if you have prescriptions, you got to work all that out. But these are just the basic ones to kind of start out from there. Another thing, too, is it's good to have a thermometer and why those forehead thermometers are great or even the old mercury ones are good. You can actually get disposable one-time use thermometer strips, which I keep several of those on hand. If you can get ice and heat packets, that's great, too. I even have a little digital thermometer. But what's nice about the disposable ones is eventually you're not going to have the things to clean and sanitize the extra stuff. So I do have the nicer thermometers, but eventually I'll need the disposable ones. What's great about the disposable ones too is I carry some of them like in my packs when I go hiking or camping just so I have them available if me or somebody else needs them. Another thing I keep in there is hydration salts. There's a very specific one I buy that is a mix of salts and sugars and electrolytes and potassiums, the proper amounts that you need that's used by... I think the World Health Organization, you get 100 packets for 40 bucks, a packet goes into 32 ounces of water. And the only time I've needed to drink 32 ounces of it when I was training in July in Arizona, spending most of the day in the sun, running around, being really active and eating three or 4,000 calories a day, whether I was getting the food or not, sometimes I still needed it because I needed the electrolytes or I needed the potassium. And those are really good preventatives to have in there too. So you don't become a heat casualty, you don't fall out. And even then, I didn't drink it all in one sitting. I drank some in the morning, and then when I was done training before dinner, I would sip the last half and see how it tasted. If it didn't taste good to me, I knew there was nothing in there I needed. And then I might sip or drink most of it later on before I went to bed. Now, there's plenty of other basic medical items, but those are ones to get you started. And then your more advanced items are the ones you need to get training on if you don't have the training. And you want to make sure you're getting training from a professional. It's the first classes I recommend people pay money for on basic trauma medicines to take care of things like stopping bleeding, 
the basic items, the first one is to understand and know how to use a tourniquet, then also know how to use emergency bandages. Emergency bandages come in many types. Some are the Israeli bandage is what they're called, but it's really just called the emergency bandage. There's the H bandage, the Ole's bandage, and there's a couple of others. From there, you learn on about packing wounds and getting compressed gauze to pack wounds, as well as products made by like Sealox that have sponges or gauze with clotting material. But you want to start out with the basic emergency bandage and the tourniquet, and then learn how to also use medical tape and gauze to properly tape and treat a wound when it's bleeding. Those are the basic trauma items. From there, you branch out into maybe learning how to use clear airways or the nasal passages. But while doing that, the piece of education that goes along with it is getting CPR training. Now, while I don't know how common it would be now because of the virus, but Red Cross was doing online training. I don't think that benefits anybody. It's in your best interest to take the class in person and use the dummy and train on it. And then if you have the extra money, you can also take the classes for infants and small children as well as animals for CPR. And that's really just a basic way to start out because at the end of the day, medical is usually the biggest problem in any real disaster situation that goes long term. From there, you got to look at money. Money's a big one. Now, money, I look at money in three different forms as far as, well, currency goes, ways to spend actual money. There's, of course, the cold hard cash, which usually spends anywhere and especially with other people, even if it's not a business. You also have the credit card. The credit card, your name's attached to with an institution that comes with an interest rate. And then you have prepaid credit cards, which also counts gift cards. Difference being gift cards for a specific business. Prepaid credit cards can be used anywhere but they're already paid for. So it's like having cash, but it's on a little square. What I did to figure this out was a lot of people had ideas about, you need this amount of money, you need this amount of money. I just thought about, well, what's the basic needs for money? I need to be able to buy food. My bills are coming out automatically. I have all this stuff. But then I thought about the whole evacuation idea. What if I had to leave somewhere, you know, the hurricane comes? Well, one of the things you look at, I'm fast forwarding slightly here, but if you Look at FEMA. Everybody always says they only want you to have three days food and water and they have all these conspiracy theories. It doesn't actually say that. They say you should have three days of emergency supplies for evacuation purposes. This is not, I waited it out, the hurricane hit, and I realized it was a bad idea. It's something bad's coming. You realize you need to evacuate. They recommend at a bare minimum, your emergency supplies for you and your family, which they give you advice on how to figure that out. It needs to be for at least three days because depending on traffic, time of year, weather, most people are going to need to travel probably around three days to either get to get far enough away because if there's enough traffic or bad weather, three days may not be as far as it is in perfect conditions with no traffic. So that being said, I thought about, well, how much money would I need to evacuate? And I use that for money needs I have around the house anyway. So what I did is I thought about, okay, let's say it's best case scenario. And how many hours can I really drive for if I want to? And I figured that out. I figured out I could drive this many hours. If I was on a freeway, I could get this far. And this was to give me a buffer. This was best case scenario. I'd actually spend more money. I could stay up longer. I could drive really far. How far is that? Then I took that mileage and I converted it to, at the time, I chose $3 a gallon. Now, it's not $3 a gallon now, at least not in most of the country, but it gave me a buffer. And I figured that out. That's how much money I would need for fuel in a best case scenario. The next thing I looked at was lodging. 
while there's still even now plenty of places I could get lodging for 50 bucks for my dog, I had to assume what the average was in most places of other people were evacuating. I thought about, I'll bump it up to 150 and let's say best case scenario on three days, I stay for two nights. That's another $300, probably a little more with tax. But at the time I went with $300. Then I thought about if I didn't have the food and water that I needed, I'm not going to eat at expensive restaurants. I'm going to look for diners, a Denny's, a grocery store. Maybe I even have to eat out of the gas station. But realistically, if I was going to eat three meals a day and drink coffee and all that other stuff, how much, what's fair? What's a realistic number? And I came up with that and I multiplied it by three. It so happened at the time I originally did this. This was my original plan years ago. I came up to where I just rounded it up a little bit and I came out to $1,000. So that was my first goal was $1,000. What I did from there is I thought, well, cash is king. So the first thing I did was come up with $1,000, which if you do that, a good amount of your money needs to be in fives and twenties as they're the most common bill and easiest to spend. There's a lot of places, especially in small towns that aren't going to like you handing them fifties and hundreds, fives and twenties. You'll end up with plenty of ones and tens anyway. Once I had that $1,000 at the time, Then I worked towards making sure I had at least one credit card and then, yeah, at least one credit card that had a thousand dollars of open balance on it. So the reason I did this was cash was king and I didn't know when I might need that. And if, you know, what if I get stuck somewhere and somebody wants to help me out, but they want cash. So what I did is I made that credit card my primary source of spending. And then that way, if I lost the credit card, or if for some reason it got canceled or I forgot to get the new one and it expired, I still had $1,000 cash as a backup. Then I went a step further. Then when I had both of those, then I got $1,000 in prepaid credit cards. And I had them on more than one card in case I lost one. Now, I didn't keep any gift cards initially. Eventually, I had a couple of like, you know, coffee cards or something. But I had four different, four or five different prepaid credit cards. And the reason I did that was I considered that money I already spent. So... The way I do it is my primary means of spending money in that situation was the prepaid credit cards. It's money I consider already spent because I bought the card. So I've already used it. I'm not using money on a credit account, running that tab up and paying interest on it, which overall for me isn't a big deal, but it was just the way I looked at it. When those were used or if I lost one, I still had most of the money. Or if there's a problem and I couldn't use a prepaid credit card like at a hotel, then I had my regular credit card to do it, and I still had $1,000 as a backup. So that's kind of how I worked out the whole currency issue on spending and money. And I got that from some training aspects and things that I had done in the past about how to use different currencies or places where I'd have currencies from different countries and having credit accounts. And that's just kind of how I worked the money thing out, which people have kind of liked it before. I thought it was kind of eye-opening. It was kind of a different way to look at it. But that's kind of how that breaks down. It's just different now how I do it. That's how I started out. And it's just making sure that you figure out that money that you need. And the thing is, the way I did it, the way I explained it, I had a large buffer. So I had plenty of money because here's the thing. Maybe I do have to travel for three days. But what happens if I actually had to evacuate and then I had to stay somewhere for a few extra days? Now I have a little bit of buffer to stay there. Plus, when I'm bringing my own supplies, it lasts a little bit longer. Not to mention at any time you can start rationing here and there a little bit. So it gives you a buffer room. The idea behind preparedness is to not disrupt your lifestyle at all if you can avoid it, to maintain the same lifestyle as much as possible so that if you have to start cutting back or rationing per se or changing what you're doing, things, the amount of stuff you have goes longer. 
So if you keep, for example, let's say your first goal is two weeks of supplies in all categories, that's great. But if you plan that based on a survival situation and the bare minimums of food and water and no extra activities, when it's gone, it's gone. Not to mention you don't realize with the loss of calories and water what you physically cannot do. If you plan that same two weeks based on your regular active lifestyle and even factoring a few more calories and water because you might be physically doing more stuff, then if you realize supplies aren't coming and you got to start cutting back, that two weeks might end up lasting you six weeks. So that's a smarter way to look at it. Now, another category to look at is communication, and there's several things to consider. And it's really about money to some degree, but also how you want to do it, what you have available. And I'm explaining stuff how I do it or have done it and also considering the fact that there's probably somebody out there starting from scratch doesn't have a lot of money. One of the things about communication to know is that if you have an old cell phone, you should make sure you have a charger for it. You should charge it every once in a while, see how long it takes a battery to run out because even if they're not used, when they get old enough, been through enough bad weather, even they're sitting in your garage, some of them won't hold a charge very long, like literally only a couple of hours. So if you have a lot of old cell phones, see if you can find the chargers for them. The reason why is any cell phone that activates, but you don't have it on a paid system, can call 911. And it's always good to have that extra phone with you. So a lot of times when I travel, I have one of my older phones that I charge and have a charger with it that I keep in my box in my car that's shut off. Reason being, if I get in a situation, can't charge my phone, my phone eventually dies, which if I know I'm in that situation, I don't have a way to charge it, I'm not just going to leave it on. Then I have that backup phone that I can do two things with. One, it's an older smartphone although I have some older, just regular flip phones. It's an older smartphone. So yeah, it's going to use a little more power, but I know I can call 911 on it and I keep a few apps on it. And I check the apps every few months to make sure valid. They're not fun apps. They're not social media. I have a couple of map apps, a couple of different weather apps, weather map apps, altimeters, different things I might need in a more extreme situation. That's what I have the smartphone for. Another thing you can look at is ham radio. Now here's what's great about ham radio. You can actually get cheap Chinese junk is what I call it, but you can get like Baofeng radios, relatively cheap, 25 to 50 bucks, depending on the model. Now, do understand ham radios that cheap come from overseas like China. They're harder to use. They're more difficult. They're not super durable, but there's plenty of ways online, plenty of YouTube videos and people help you set them up. If you can afford a better one, of course, get a better one. The other thing is you don't have to have a radio license to listen to the radio and to get used to it. You can learn about the different bands, what they'll communicate with, what your specific radio is capable of, programmable radios, which most of them are. They'll have, you know, NOAA on there for weather, but you can program them for emergency services in your area so that you can hear what they're doing if your radio is capable of it. That way you can hear emergency services, different government agencies sometimes talking. You can also know which bands within that bandwidth, which specific frequencies tend to have the most traffic in your part of the country at what time of day there's books on it. There's a lot of stuff to learn there without ever getting the license and talking on the radio. And the best thing about it is even if you can learn those basic things of when the best time to communicate on certain frequency is in an emergency situation, if it's an emergency, you don't need a license to communicate. Somebody will help you. Everything that goes on in this country, especially disasters or big political events, there's tons of people that are professional ham radio users that are volunteering because of organizations they belong to to help them out. I know guys here in Arizona that helped out hurricanes from Texas and Florida. So there's going to be somebody on there. Maybe you got to try it a few times and make sure you get somebody. 
but they are a good communications system. Now, something else I add into communication is signaling. It's basically a way to signal somebody, like hand and arm signals, but not those. And they're things I keep with me with my training gear, my backpacks and my vehicles, some things that I keep. So, for example, I keep chem lights or glow sticks, as they call them. Typically, you can buy them. They're good for 30 minutes to eight hours. The ones I use in the military, the ones that were good for 30 minutes were a lot brighter, but only good for 30 minutes. So you probably want to get one if you're thinking emergency situation that's there for eight hours. A 30-minute white light one's good just for checking around the car late at night if you need it, if you don't have a flashlight. But what I like about them is when you look at a chem light or glow stick today, most of them, the ones you should be buying, have a little tip on the end with a hole in it, like you can tie it down. What I do is take some simple cordage and tie it through there to where the cordage is about four feet long. The reason I do this is when you break it, you can spin it and have a little fun time like playing with sparklers. But what's great about that is that can be seen by aircraft. So they're great to have for signaling people at night. The other thing is the military with a thing called a VS-17 panel. It's basically a reflective panel that a type of fluorescent orange and fluorescent pink is easy to see. You can actually find them on eBay, even the big ones for landing aircraft, sometimes for 40 or 50 bucks, and you can get smaller ones. What's nice about those, when there is illumination, is they can see small pieces from a great distance. I've done training in wooded environments and desert environments where guys took a piece of that maybe six by six inches and put them inside their Kevlar helmets. You know, so they're getting dirty and grimy a little bit from their heads. But then we're out there training. They had to single us. They'd take their helmet off and then they would point it at us and they might have to move it a little bit. But all of a sudden we would see through the trees or in, in the distance, you would see this reflection. And then all of a sudden your eyes would materialize the people around you. So those are a great way to communicate is having something like that. You can also get things like mirrors and emergency mirrors. If you buy a flashlight, you know, get a good LED flashlight, especially if it has functions on there like a strobe. Those are more noticeable to the eye at a distance. But the thing is, is whether they're rechargeable or operated on batteries, the condition of your batteries, how often you've used that flashlight. Basically, the cooler it is and the more it's like technology, those are the things that are going to die first. So that reflective VS-17 panel doesn't go anywhere unless you lose it. The chem light's going to work forever unless you use it. So remember, it's always good to have primitive or lesser, lesser versions of electronic technology to back up any cool thing that you have. I say that because I'm a big fan of certain phrases like, you know, people say, well, you always want to back up, but the phrase is two is one, one is none. So I say, why not have three? If you can have three of something, now not everything I have three of, some things I have four of, but have different methods and ways to communicate and backups for those methods. Eventually you want to get to that point. So just like having initially having that antibacterial soap in the dawn, even if that's your backup plan, it is there and will last a long time. So yeah, you stock up on your good conditioner and shampoo and your body wash and you got your loofahs and all this other stuff. But if the situation comes down long term or you're stuck in an area during disaster that could go several weeks, eventually that stuff's gone. Stores aren't open. You can't go buy any more of that stuff. But you have that backup plan. That's not quite as cool, but is there and will keep you sane and healthy. I'm not really going to talk about food too much. There's a lot of information out there on food. You just have to figure out what works best for you, which plan you want to follow. My basic advice, though, is if you, generally speaking, live paycheck to paycheck, your first goal is to have one extra paycheck's worth of food. Let's just say it's something like that. But there's plenty of articles and videos you can see on YouTube, on blogs, all kinds of good information. The thing is, 
Don't go stocking up on large bags of dried beans and flour and cornmeal if you don't already cook or intend to learn how to use them. Otherwise, when you run out of the canned goods and you're down to that, you're going to wonder what to do. So make sure you know how to use anything that you buy and you're putting it into practice. Also make sure that you're starting to keep some extra things that you already use because of all the things you're doing, when you change what puts in your body, your body can have a bad reaction to it. You could end up sick. You could end up with diarrhea. You could end up tired or listless. Maybe you get headaches. There could be a large adjustment period. So you want to be able to kind of phase things in and out a little more easily. So if you're big in a bar and freeze-dried survival foods and MREs, make sure you eat them once in a while so you know exactly what they taste like. Make sure you know how to slowly adjust those in so you don't just, well, I got, you know, three weeks of normal food. It's gone. I'm going to start eating freeze-dried stuff now. Well, if you're three weeks of normal food, it's still good for months. Mix it up a little bit. Kind of slowly integrate, just like when you change the food for a dog. Slowly integrate it. It'll make it easier on your body and your system, and you'll react better to it. Water, though, is the big one. Make sure you know how much water you should be drinking, whether you drink water or not. Generally speaking, this is a general term, but you want to look up specifics based on your personal needs because water changes. Menstruating women might need more water. People with certain medications need more water. People that are being active in certain ways may need more water. People that are physically smaller, not doing much, may need less water. But generally speaking, if you want somewhere to start, start with one gallon per person per day. So there's five people in your family, five gallons of water is good for a day. Why do we say that? Does everybody drink a gallon of water? No, but the water is there for you to drink, number one. Number two, it's for you to bathe. And number three, cooking needs if there are any. But just remember that. Because if you drink two liters of water a day, how much water do you think you use in the bathtub or shower? Have somebody figure that out for you looking at your water bill. Find out even a general number, even if it's not specific to your shower, what do they say the average shower outputs per minute in water? Go take a short, quick shower just to get the important things taken care of. Time yourself, see how much water you use, and then all of a sudden you're going to appreciate why having a gallon per person per day is important. And don't forget, with water and food, if you have pets and animals, they're going to need that kind of nutrition too. Now, there are many other areas to look at self-defense, physical conditioning, having things like games and toys for the kids and books, coloring books even for yourself. Those should all be looked into. There's far more than just the basic needs to survive. Preparedness is about thriving. It's about there's a disruption and inconvenience to my life, and that's all it is is an inconvenience because I have everything I need to maintain my life as much as possible. And remember easing things in. If you got a family that everybody's used to staring at their phone and all electronic devices all the time and electricity goes out, they're going to lose their freaking minds. So maybe you can ease them into it. Maybe you can find ways to get them to read books, give them rewards, something to get them off those electronic devices so that if the time comes and they have to go back to the crazy analog world, they don't lose their minds over it or things don't get worse because they're not used to that adjustment. So if you've got any questions or comments, leave them for me. Maybe I'll do a follow-up and again in the future and cover some more preparedness topics. But I just wanted to hit a few of those. I thought there would be some information in there that you hadn't heard before, especially with money, maybe some good ideas there, give you something to look at and what you want to prepare for. So thank you for listening. Don't forget to do us a like and a share and give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're on that platform. And for those listening to it today on March 12th, 2020, sorry, 2021, Remember on the 14th this Sunday, we got our live show coming. Make sure you have your questions prepared. Gray Man versus Tactical is going to be our focus, although we already have a few other questions outside that realm. 
And if everything goes right, I'll be there with David and Luke or just myself or just two of us. We'll see what happens. And then we'll be back here again for you shortly with more information and knowledge and things that you like right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.